shouldn't have meant anything. So um, <clears throat> today um, I was going to talk about spirituality, but I'm not really very spiritual. <laughs> so really, I um, as the, there's a Gemara expression, "Tocho kavaro," that your <coughs> your insides have to reflect your outsides. Tocho kavaro. Remember Gamliel. There's a whole machlokas. Who should come into the base medrash? Uh, should he? Should, should should anyone be allowed in to sit and learn? And uh, and the day that they deposed <coughs> um, him. They opened up the base medrash, and, and it was flooded with hundreds of students. Most of them were not appropriate. Until that, it was an elitist institution, and um, and then suddenly it was flooded with everybody. <coughs> so you know, a person um, who uh, purports to teach Torah really has to have certain basic qualifications, moral qualifications. Uh, spiritual qualifications. Um, you know, if you're teaching um, Judaism 101 in a college setting, then you can, you know, you could be going to brothels that night. It doesn't matter as long as you deliver the information to the students. But in the setting of a shul, a person uh, who is invited to give Torah, you know, is meant to embody it. So today I'm not really feeling... Um, I'm not feeling very spiritual, so I just want to put it out there that, um, you know, um, whatever I say, I should be living it. And if I'm not living it, so then really I shouldn't be teaching it. I'm going to make like three or four more points. Because my toho isn't kabaro. My tofu is a Just press the um, button. I struggle with, uh, with the very issues that I am dealing with. And I'm, I'm half the time not successful. So I really don't want anyone developing any transfer reactions. I don't want anyone um, idealizing. I'm inviting you into my spiritual journey and showing you the kind of textual um, moves I am making hermeneutically and struggling with the text um, because that's all I've got. Because of the poverty of my own spirituality and the fact that I was raised in this you know, very hidebound rabbinic model that you know, unless you had mastery of texts, you couldn't even open your mouth. Um, so the weight of that kind of tradition is so heavy on me uh, that there's very little wiggle room. It's not like I can just go out and write poetry. Although, um, what's the name of that guy from Williamsburg? Uh, it's really very good. He used to be from, now he speaks for public radio. Um, wrote a book, uh, The Foreskin's Delight. Auslander, right? See. I don't know how he gets his chutzpah, you know, like, he grew up in the same environment and it's okay for him to, he's got lots of wiggle room. He's got lots of wiggle room. Well, you did say it was 50% of the time. 
So the other 50%. He's in guilt. No, 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 I'm talking about you. He's talking about you 50%. Right. So I, I just, I don't know why I feel I need to say this tonight, but. <laughs> so stop calling me rabbi and. Uh, okay, doctor. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm also very plagued this weekend because it's Shlo it was Shlomo's yacht site on Friday. And uh, they actually posted his uh, Leviah. So if you just blog um, Shlomo Leviah, you can now hear the whole Leviah in that filthy rainy day on the west side nine years ago. And um, so I, I've really been plagued because in my shtibel, you know, of course, they say Tachman. You know, so... Um, and, and then I, I read um, uh, <coughs> a fellow from Tikkun, Michael Lerner's um, article on Shlomo before all the scandal broke. Um, you know, so we have fallen Sadiqim. We don't even have real Sadiqim today. You know, we've got fallen Sadiqim, you know. I mean, they also have it, right? But who was the one who got up and Tammy's husband? Tammy, Tammy, huh? Yeah, Jim Baker. I loved the, his confession. The next day, he, uh, the next week, he got up in front of like ten thousand people and go, "I have sinned." I mean, that was just, you know. I mean, sometimes America really can master Keach, you know, in an amazing <laughs> way. I just hope this new president isn't also cute, but anyway. So I, I'm reading my Sedra, you know, you're supposed to read it twice, and uh, so I'm reading the Sedra, and I can't get past the first verse. In fact, I can't get past the first word, which I've translated, because it's an art scroll, ridiculous translation, and it translates, Vayera a love Adonai, which is the first time that God actually appears to a human being in the history of the world, according to our text. And, and um, after Adam, he's the first person that communicates with a human being. So it's kind of an important sentence. Because I want to talk to God, and I want God to talk to me. You know? So let's parse the word Vayera all you Diktuk fans who've been to grammatical school 101. First of all, what's the what's the declension? Kal, Nifal, Piel, Puel, Hifil, Hofal, Hitfael. It's very important because otherwise you can't parse it. Vayera is in the imperfect with the Vav Hahipuk. So the Vav makes it into a completed action. Right? There's no present and there's no past and future in biblical Hebrew. There's only actions that have been completed and actions that have yet to be completed, as in all good Semitic languages. So it is va yero, that vav converts it into a completed action. Yero from the verb yud resh aleph, meaning to see. So Vayera is in the Nifal, which is in the passive of to see, which is to 
Sorry? The BC. Oh. So what's this Schmart scroll business? Vajera is, and he made himself seen. He exposed himself. A love. Adonai. Which comes right off last week's part, uh, chapter, which has to do with Mila. So there's some intrinsic connection between Tikkun Habrit, the fixing of the Orla, the fixing of the uncircumcised one, and the appearance of God. You mean God can't be seen or God suddenly can be seen? No, of course God can be seen all the time. His Ruach it was in the Garden of Eden. A man had to hide from it in order not to be seen. So if I can't see it, there's a poverty in my cataracts, in my visual acuity. But after I cut myself, right, I fix my bris, so somehow now, God appears. By Yera. It's, it's something else, Avraham, that changes. Not in the Rabbonishon, no, he doesn't change. So the first Jew somehow has gone through a spiritual transformation through something that he did by inscribing in his body, by cutting. This cutting of the flesh, which for Derrida is so critical, right? That kind of inscription in the parchment, inscribing in the flesh. The cutting of the flesh. My son is... Um, had some interest in that, though <laughs> from a rather controversial aspect. And he now appears to him as a result of that. How? But Elone Mamre. Elone Mamre? What's Elon? A tree. A terrapin tree or an oak tree? I don't know. Some kind of tree. Mamre is a proper noun. Mr. Mamre's oak tree. Right? So, and the Medrash pipes in, who is Mamre? Why does, she, why does he get a mention in the Federal Register here? What, what's so big about Mamre? Oh, you see, Mamre was the one who encouraged Abraham. What do you mean? He needed encouragement? No, of course not. He's Abraham, right? So he was going to do circumcision. The question is, was he going to do it like in Germany in 1933, you know, a Jew in the house and a goy on the street. And in London, circa 1956, when I dared to wear my yarmulke, my mother whacked me and said, you don't wear your yarmulke on the streets. Not of London, sir. Wear your cap. Right? So we can like, shall I do it? He goes to Mamre and says, shall I do this, you know, in the ghetto? Or shall I just, hey, I'll just make an announcement in the New York Times on tomorrow. I'm going to have a bris. Everyone's invited. Don't know, haven't chosen the sandig yet. Mamri says, hey man, if you're going to do this, just do it, you know, on YouTube. So that's why the Medrash says that Mamre gets it. Mamre gets a mention. I want to show to you today, however, I hope to be able, through my rhetor, my rhetoric, that in fact, what is actually going in from my reading of this text is not just that God appears to him, because we've been speaking to him, not just that God appeared to him in the 
Elone Mamre, which is something radically new because until now, he's looking at the stars and God says, count the stars. You know, God is like this very transcendent kind of the Bira Doleket we talked about. What's going on in the world? Can there be a, a, a village on flames without a manhig somewhere up there, a CEO running it with like the strings from a puppet? After his Mila, that man holding the strings can be now seen the Elone Mamre in this world, in the Gashmias of this world. That's what's taken place. By inscribing in the fresh flesh of his bris, what he has done now is brought down the divine visuality, the acuity, to be able to see the divine Ba'elone Mamre, even in the Oaks of Mamre, in this world, in his life, in the events of his life. However, where was he when they saw him? Vahu Yoshev, very care, very important, and he's sitting, Pesach Ohel, which means? Opening the My daughters used to come home with a, from the Beis Yaakov in Israel with a letter from the teacher. HaPesach Pasua, which means that the, the tent was their long jean skirt that went from here all the way to the floor. And the question is about the slits. Yeah. So depending on how from you were was how high the slits were and how wide the slits were. If you got a, 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 a letter from the teacher saying, Pesach or Ohel, it meant that, that it's so wide that people could go in and out. <laughs> so Pesach Ohel is the entrance to the tent. That's as far as I got in my reading, etc. So this is where we go from here. But Rashi, I underlined the Rashi, Pesach Ohel. Liros, we're back to this vision. God makes himself seen, but, but what, is, what is he doing when God appears to him? He is looking to see if there are passers-by to bring them in. Hospitality. I'm sure your rabbis have spoken about it on many, many sermons. What is God appearing to him to do? First Rashi, Levake et achole. He's the third day after his bris. One very, very dramatic medrash goes, he's taking off one bandage and wrapping another one around, and he's taking off one and he's wrapping another. There's no lidocaine creams in those days. He's 99, so this guy's in pain. Third day after operation, man, that's the worst. But he's Bepesach oil. He's only interested in looking for guests. And God appears to him and starts talking to him. And, and he goes, excuse me, God, I see three guys coming. Uh, I, I can't talk to you now. I'm just going to put you on hold and I deal with these guests. Okay, all very nice. Let's go back to Pesach. Oh. Come on. Where else do we have Pesach? Oh. So I, put, I brought you another sheet. Shemos 33.4. And it's right after the Egel. 
And right after the Egel, it says, every man, after being told that, you know, it's all over and God wants to destroy them and make Moses into an, a nation, every man runs to his tent. And what does he do? He takes off the, the jewelry by Yisabolu and they start wailing. And then Vayikach Moshe es Oihel, and he plants it Michutz Lamachane. He takes it from where? Remember the Machane is three tribes, three tribes, three tribes, and three tribes. Then the Machane of the Levim, and then comes the Mishkon. He takes his tent from here and he pitches it out here. Har Min Machane far away from the camp. The who Yoshev the Ohel, he sits there. The Yoshua, lo Yomush and Joshua follows him, and he never leaves that. The people would come, and Moshe would come, El Pesach Ohel, then the clouds would descend, El Pesach Ohel, and God would speak to him at the Pesach Ohel, and Vidiber el Kolom, and he would tell the people the Torah. As a result of the Chet Ha'egel, of the sin of the golden calf, which is very interesting because we're told by the Zohar that the sin of the golden calf was as traumatic as the sin of Adam. And just like Adam in the Garden of Eden, there was no sickness and there was no death, and he was going to live forever. So too, the Medrash, and especially Ritzotek, tells us that after the giving of Sinai, there was no sickness, there was no illness, and man had returned to that Edenic state of being after being given the Torah. He was like an angel. Of course, there was the Erev Rav, the mixed multitude that accompanied them, and they incited us. Of course, it couldn't be our fault. We blamed them. They incited us to worship the golden calf. Suddenly, there was a second fracture in the relationship between man and the divine. In Genesis, it had been the individual man. Here, it was the whole nation. That's how traumatic the Egel, the Maase Egel is. So much so that there's a machlokus, a conflict between the Ramban and other Mephoshim as to the function of the Mishkan. They say that the function of the Mishkan was a substitute to fix the problem of the Egel. You wanted to bring a golden calf? Okay, so now bring bulls. You have a wanderlust to, to sacrifice to something down here on earth? Okay. Others say, no, it had nothing to do with that. It was going to be that way anyway. But it doesn't make sense. Why We talked about this, where it's placed in relationship to the ego. But as a result of the ego, Moses removes himself from the center point of the nation, the Mishkan, and pitches his tent outside. <coughs> And so I am indebted to uh, Rav Tamir Granot for this idea of putting the two together. I didn't read his article. The moment I saw that he put the two together, I said, I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to take off on my own. Because I thought that it was really a good idea. That is, that there is a parallel between Abraham and the tent and the God's appearance at the Pesach Ohel. <coughs> <clears throat> and Moses pitching his tent and God appearing to him at the entrance of the Ohel. They both say, if I have found favor in your eyes, 
do not pass over from before your servant. And then Abraham goes to this tent to tell Sarah that we're going to have a son, and she says, my husband is old. Whereas Yoshua is the equivalent sitting in the tent that Moses keeps coming back to every time he comes back to the tent. And then the word when God says to Sarah, what is she laughing? Is something coming from the word pele, which means is something too peladic? What's pele? Wondrous. Is something too wondrous for God to do? You may be 90 years old, so what? I'll get you pregnant. And here too, when Moses says, Lord, I'm going to be begging for you from now till Yom Kippur. Forgive this people. That same word Pele is used there. And that I and your nation shall be a source of Pele, a source of wonder, in front of the rest of the nations. And then Abraham says that we will keep the way of God and God says, I Datif, because I know him that he will keep his children will keep the ways of the Lord. And of course Moses says in the rock crevice, show me your ways. So that I will know you by name. I want to know you by name. So this idea of knowing the name these are so these are literary parallels that it seems that we should be focusing on comparing and contrasting the two typologies Abraham versus Moses and Sarah versus Joshua the tent of meeting called the Ohel Moed by the way what happens to the Ohel Moed So that's what Rashi says. The moment the Mishkan was made and de Moses dedicated Mishkan, he pitched his tent back there. But if I read from Bamidbar, in Aaron and Miriam's complaint to get Moshe when they said Lashon Hora, it says. Um, God descended in a pillar of cloud, stood at the Pesach Ohel, the entrance to the tent, and he called Aaron and Midron, pito me. He called them suddenly. Vayetzer, and they went out. And then he says, and he he tells them, say Shloshdem, the three of you go out El Ohel Moe to the tent of meeting. So they were here, and God said to them at the end of Bamidbor, go out to the tent of meeting. I don't know what Rashi does with that. But all the other Mephoshims say, no, once he's pitched his tent, there he was. He was outside the camp of Israel. <clears throat> so that became the Ohel Moed. Okay. Let's talk about this Pesach Ohel. It seems that God appears not inside the tent, not outside the tent, but at the Pesach Ohel. What do we do with our Pesach Ohels? We put mezuzahs on them. It's very interesting. You should know in the ancient Near East, 
just a little bit of apoptosis. Um, that um, 